Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, today on Life's a Beach, we have a very special guest. He's undeniably the greatest freestyle motocross rider of all time. And he'll be back in Australia to perform at Freestyle Kings Live on Saturday, the 19th of February at Central Coast Stadium. Now let's take a listen to my chat with Robbie Madison. Now this week in the Beach Shack, it's, uh, I'm quite excited actually to, to speak to this guy. He's amazing in the motocross world. Robbie Madison, Maddo, how are you, mate? Thanks, brother. I'm doing really well, really well. Thank you. How are you, mate? Oh, mate, I'm going well. You know, it's obviously you're overseas in uh, the US at the moment and I'm in Australia. So summer in Australia where, you know, peak time on the beach is a lifeguard. So we've been quite busy coming out of Christmas into, into January. So, yeah, mate, it's always something happening down at Bondi. Yeah, beautiful. I can't wait to get there and get in the Aussie salt water again. I'm, I'm frothing for it. Well, but you're, you're coming back to Australia for the Freestyle Kings live show at the Central Coast Stadium on the 19th of February, which is coming up very soon. Now, what can we expect from that show? Oh, mate, it's going to be massive. You know, if you're not there, you're missing out. I'm excited. You know, the Freestyle Kings have got a long history of, like, doing shows out of in China. So they're really well rehearsed. They've done a ton of shows out there. They've got a really good package and it flows well. And they've been inspired, obviously, from Crusty Demons and Nitro Circus. And then with that, the Aussie crew are literally like the leaders in the world of freestyle motocross. So... Obviously, I'm, I'm not being biased here. You might think I am, but, I, you know, Australians, you ask anyone, you know, we had the biggest amount or the, you know, the most amount of, like, extreme riders and, and great fresh talent. And thankful enough, Freestyle Kings has pretty much all of them in the show. So it's cool to be able to go back with the boys from Australia. You know, I've obviously helped inspire some of them and, and or all of them, and, and they're all my friends as mutual respect, and we're just all stoked to get together and let their energy roll and, with a choreographed show, badass stunts, dudes doing the gnarliest double backflips, front flips, pyrotechnics, people dancing. It's going to be a night for all. And obviously the kids too. It's all about the kids. And I think, you know, a lot of our focus is there. And leading up the kids is is my son, Cruz. Um, you know, there's uh, Ryan Davis's ride and there's a couple of young, young blood in, in the show. So it's going to be an inspirational night and definitely one that's uh, going to go down the record books. I'm excited to come and uh, show Gosses what we've got. Well, but I've noticed that you've got. Uh, I've had Pat Bowden on the on the podcast before, and great bloke, and and geez, he can ride a motorcycle as well, and he's a part of that. Yeah, yeah, Pat blows my mind. Uh, the level he rides at is literally almost second to none. You know, he's a freak on a bike. His go-to tricks are some of the gnarliest tricks there is. He came and stayed at my house here a couple of weeks back, and his first jump on my ramp. I mean, he jumped the ramp probably two years ago, but. He's so confident. He's first jumping into a 360 knack knack, one of the gnarliest tricks there is. Just total flat spin. I was just like, couldn't believe it. I was like, was that his first jump? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, holy cow. So just a lot of respect for Pat and I can't wait. I know he's working on some cool stuff, so it's going to be it's going to be big. Mate, I can't wait for the show. Now, I'm going to go way back. Now, you were born in Karingbar and you grew up in Kiama Down. So tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up down uh, the south coast of, uh, of Sydney. Mate, I was born to my dad's electrician. My mum is like started kind of in office management, kind of worked her way up in in the in in that world of uh, in offices and stuff. Worked for the government, but with all that, we kind of moved south. You know, young. We I spent like my childhood in Bulleye, actually, up the top of Hospital Road, which was nice because the hospital was nice and close. And I was <laughs> always there. I had a massive file that was huge. I walk in, they go, "Hi, Robbie." <laughs> so that was cool. But yeah, Bulleye was awesome to us. But I moved uh, to Kaima when we were eight and grew up on the beach there at Jones's Beach and remember the board riders and you know ran that beach pretty much every day of my life through high school and. Just awesome place to grow up, you know, and I was always passionate about motorbikes. You know, I raced at local tracks like Nara Motocross Track and Wollongong, Oakdale, Appen, and obviously up in the Central Coast, you know, a lot, lot in uh, Gosford, uh, sorry, not Gosford, through Gosford, but we'd go to uh, Lake Macquarie and Cessnock and Curry Curry and all those tracks. So, you know, the South Coast and the, 
and the eastern eastern coast of Australia is where we grew up, and I love it, mate. It's it's awesome. I miss Australia a lot. You know, coming to America, I had a big like I was really over it after three years, and luckily I have you know my wife from Australia. Um, we have a great relationship, and it, it made more sense for me as a business side to stay here. So I've I'm actually a dual resident now, so I'm part American. Um, my kids are Americans, but you know, it's uh, Australia's got a special place to me in my heart. I love the pies and love the accent too. We speak Australian at home, so we. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's good, man. Aussies, uh, you see them all around the world. It's cool. Like we're one of the nations that travel the most. Everywhere you go, you always run into Aussies. So it's. Uh, I'm very proud to be Australian. That's for sure. So, mate, you did surf down there. You, you got into the surfing. You love surfing, and you also then started the motorbikes. When did the the motorbike sort of really start gelling was it at a young age or when you sort of got a little bit older yeah i was inspired as a super young kid because my dad had a motorbike he'd pop wheelies and stuff so i loved motorbikes and then i remember specifically one day a kid that lived up the street he's about six years older than me but i was quite young i was about three at the time and he came back so he came down the street he would have been about eight or nine he rode past on a little mini bike and we had a fridge magnet of like one of the cosby kids on a motorbike on the fridge i remember it and the Cosby kid had a stripe or a double stripes down the center of the helmet, open face helmet. And this kid come riding past and he had the stripey helmet. So it all just, to me, was like, yeah, there's big calling. I was just, I couldn't believe seeing this kid. And I was like, that's what I want to do right there. So it started there. The postman, believe it or not, back in those days, used to throw me on the front of the postie and I'd go deliver the mail with him. And uh, <laughs> so I just, yeah, I've just been a freak for bikes. Had my first one at four years old and it's just gone from there. You know, at six, six years old, I started racing race through to 16, wanted to become a professional rider. I wasn't quite big enough at 16. I was kind of like the smaller kid at school. And I went to do an apprenticeship as an electrician, which I finished. And there's always like kind of my dad put my in my head that, you know, get your trade and you got something to go back on. And once you got your trade, if you want to be an electrician or you want to be a motorbike rider, you can follow that dream, fund it yourself. So I did that, man. I, I went, become an electrician. In my, in my third year of my apprenticeship, I bought a house. You know, it was a lot of big commitment at the time. All my mates thought I was crazy, but it was crazy because in like the four years until I kind of got into this next phase of my life, the house had actually earned more money than I had and had gone up in value. So I borrowed against equity and funded myself to take a year off work and to be able to focus on riding bikes and bought myself all the stuff I needed, was super uh, blessed. The parents had some land down the, down the coast that they let me build a, a setup on and I just rode every day and quickly got good and then next minute I got invited to Crusty Demons and doing backflips and going all over the world to pinch myself all the time. You know, it's super important to stay humble and, and, and remember where you came from and I'm not scared of hard labour. I think becoming a tradesman and it gave me a work ethic and I think that's probably one of the strengths of why I got to where I'm at because I, you know, even just now I held you up, Hoppo, and you patiently waited <laughs> because I ran around trying to do a million jobs. I was just down the servo getting, getting diesel, so... Um, we're, you know, back out at 6.30 in the morning. That's when I start my days and, you know, I usually work till sometimes midnight. You know, you get out what you put in. It's, uh, you know, what it's like. And it's like anything in life. If you want to be good at anything, you have to work harder than everyone else. And so I just remind myself of that when I'm, when it seems tough and I feel like I'm under the weather, I'm like, I try to find something to be thankful for. And usually you can, it doesn't, I mean, every situation I've been in, there's always something to be thankful for. And, you can keep that positive shine going in you, and sometimes that that flame gets really low. But you got to sometimes blow on it, and sometimes collect some more wood, and you got to have that fire burning bright and take care of yourself. You know, that's what I've been doing a lot of lately. You know, these are my beers these days, so I definitely feel um, what I'm putting into myself right now, and it's it's all good, mate. Hundred percent. And um, I suppose when you're that young, and then you're designing to do jumps, like how. Did you, did you go off anyone else? Because I remember growing up, and you, you would probably know this person, in the 70s he came out, Evil Knievel, he was my hero in, in the bikes back in the day, right? So oh, he was right in my era as a kid from eight years old into teenage. And what inspired you to, to do the jumps? You don't look that old, mate. You took care of But I'm 53, mate. That's <laughs> yeah, water, huh? It's like natural Botox. It's, that's it, mate. The, the vitamin D from the sun and the salt water. Vitamin D. What are we talking about that, mate? <laughs> I've always wanted to be successful, you know. I think we all we all have our own stories. You know, I experienced a lot as a kid. I definitely wanted to do things different than I experienced growing up as when I got to an adult. So I was always very focused on being successful, you know. I was definitely, like, number one on my list. And so 
I think that was a, a big driver no matter what I did. And, and obviously at the start I focused on being an electrician and I was really happy with doing that. And I already had a plan on that I was going to go work in Roxby Downs and all these big contract jobs and uh, do the big hours on the big shifts and make you know, a bunch of money and, and buy houses and that. And I'd already I'd kind of like taken advice and, and gone to seminars on property investment and, and how you can do that on, on low wages. So I, I did that and that's why I bought my first house and it's uh, I still have that place now. So it was definitely something that was uh, that's helped me out. But, but that drive obviously came from, well, essentially that, but I guess the inspiration side of it came from the same guy you, you love, mate, Evil Knievel. You know, I, I remember vividly at my mum's 40th birthday, I think I was probably around 10 at the time, um, we were down at, uh, in Wollongong just by the Novotel there at a restaurant and I was in the kids' room and there was TV there and Robbie Knievel was jumping Caesar's Palace and they had like a bit of a throwback show and Evil Knievel failing to jump it and his big crash and stuff that's famous and then Robbie Knievel did the jump successfully and I managed to watch that there and I remember it touching me as far as like just, you know, hair stand up on the back of my neck. It kind of really, uh, I remember it. It, it, it inspired me a lot. So after that, I was like, I want to be like that guy, you know, so I want to be like the guy with the cape on and, that was always a dream and obviously I got into motocross racing and got inspired by so many people but I just love motorcycles and, and when I went racing I loved the jumps so it all came naturally and I think learning how to do the jumps, it's like anything, you know, once you do your, your 10,000 hours you become pro and the more time you put into it the better you become and I've just dedicated my life to it so I've been working with the geometry of like or the physics really of like approaching a ramp and understanding what angle and how that responds to you and you know, I work with some kind of physicists and stuff. I did physics at school and I kind of like that stuff. I like understanding all the angles. And so a lot of my judgment I've noticed like over the years, like it's pretty good. So, I, you know, like anything, you have to believe in yourself. And I just kind of had the ability, I guess, from the hours and the practice and maybe a bit of natural ability. But I always kind of as a kid would build jumps with ramps and blocks of wood and, and bricks like kids did. But I'd stretch it out to these crazy lengths where it was like, you know, 15 feet in between, I'm just hucking onto this tiny little piece of timber and kids from down the road would come and ride. And, and I remember one kid having a big crash before school one day and just cutting, you know, his head really badly. So kind of bad on my part from egging him into it, and, but he didn't have the experience I had. But it's, you know, it's a long story short, it comes from a lot of experience, been playing with this stuff for a long time. And honestly, now I still feel like that kid, you know, I still get the same feelings I had at the top of the street on my BMX bike going down to those sketchy wooden ramps when I'm looking at a 300 plus jump, you know, live on ESPN, it's the same nerves going on. And you're like devil on your shoulder, the angel on the other shoulder, and you're having this internal battle. And that's really where I kind of, you know, started meditating. It's like, you know, some people are like, oh, that sounds weird, whatever. But it's actually like super powerful because you're quieting off, you're quieting all the noise in your head and focus your attention onto one thing and become super hyper aware of everything that's going on in that moment. And that's where your power is, you know, that's like they call it the flow state when you're just kind of in that trance where everything's just happening subconsciously and, you know, you don't want to be coming into a jump with knowing your tax returns late or anything like that or worried about where you're going to go out or what you're going to eat or anything like that. So it takes uh, a certain level to be able to stop those kind of uncontrollable thoughts popping in your head and I, I like being razor sharp in those moments. It's definitely brings some power and it's uh, so it's just been an addiction that started young, I guess, to just, testing myself, testing my ability, and, and it's it's got me here, and I'm still doing it today. I'm actually going to do a stunt two days' time that I've never done before, so still burn, burning that candle. <laughs> Mate, and you have won numerous championships, as you said. You know, you've broken world records. What stands out in, you know, in your career so far when you look back? Oh, watching Bondi Beach Rescue, mate, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, it, I've had so many great moments, you know, and I'd ha- it's kind of – it's really harsh on, on, on all the things I've done to be able to pick one because they were all very special to me and it all, they, all of them took all the focus and all the effort of the time that, that I spent pulling them off. But the Arc de Triomphe in Las Vegas, obviously, I think probably one of my most significant ones just because of that wild idea to jump up on top of a building and come down that – came to me through asking it to come out of myself. I knew I had something in there. I couldn't put my finger on it. I wanted to do something spectacular. I'd already jumped the football field. ESPN wanted to do another special with me as with Red Bull and they wanted a new idea and they were totally happy to just go with similar to what we did and dress it up. And I said, I don't want to just put a different, you know, dress or a different set of makeup on on this 
done, you know, kind of like not bashing the king, but Evil Knievel would do pretty much a similar jump, all different places, different buses and all that, which is all cool. That's what he did and he's amazing for it. But I wanted to kind of be my own, you know, my own kind of uh, vibe. And and so I was looking for something more and, and that idea kind of came to me Funny enough, driving down the freeway, I was on the deadline of giving them an, an idea. They wanted something to, otherwise it wasn't going to happen. And I said, if it doesn't come to me, then I'm cool with that. And if it if it does come to me, I really want to do this jump. And and I didn't want to be in a position just come up with something just to make it happen because I didn't want to have it not as impactful as, as the as the jump before. So it all just dawned on me. I was driving past the freeway. I saw the 12-story building. It was a holiday inn. And I just realized with the right size ramp at that speed, I was on about 65 mile an hour. I'm like, wow. With the right size ramp at this speed, I, I would have jumped on top of that building. And then, you know, so all those times as a kid on the BMX bike, all that stuff kind of came into play there. And, and I just realized that that was a possibility and obviously kind of dedicated to like wanting to make it happen, which is a crazy thing. But I backed myself with no experience of, of doing that. And we, we figured out the hardest thing was trying to figure out how to practice it safely, but was super fortunate to have, you know, obviously a big budget behind it and, and, and amazing people and amazing team. And it was a huge team effort that we did Rebel and and uh, ESPN, but definitely something that empowered me. And then after that, I've gone on to do all these other things that are become special to me because after doing that thing in Vegas where I jumped on top of that building and down, it really kind of gave me some kind of, um, I mean, it wasn't all there, but it, I think we all struggle to believe in ourselves a lot, you know, so that really was there. I I was like, here's the reason that you need to believe in yourself. You've done this and I still struggle with it, you know, and I think I'm getting better at it today, but it's taken 20 years to like really realize that, you know, I probably could have, if I had my time again, carried myself a little bit different and not put so much pressure on myself. And, but it's, that's the experience that I have to kind of give to others now to be able to like, once you know on your right path, just breathe and relax and let it all flow at the right and shine your own light and be yourself. And then that's when the magic happens. You know, when you're under stress, you're not yourself, you're not responding to the right situations, you're kind of caught in a different funk and you come off weird. So no one likes weird weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I reckon this could be yeah, it, it, the greatest jump of all time. I remember watching it on TV and, mate, I, I mean, I'm petrified of heights, right? So I, I, I struggle walking out in a high rise onto the balcony, you know, so – Oh, what like going up was bad enough, but then the part where you rode around the top of the building, and for people that are listening that haven't seen this, you, you've got to go and, and and get on YouTube and have a look. When you go around and you look back down, I, I my legs went weak at the knees just watching that. Let alone then you just jump off there and come back down. I mean, what was that feeling like? It was pretty awesome, to be honest, man. It's um. You know, I don't think any of us are not scared of heights. I think we just get comfortable, you know. It's like anything. It's uh, you, I'm terrified of, like, crocodiles. I went up there with Matt Wright to that crocodile farm and I was petrified. He thought it was so funny that I was I turned, like, as white as a piece of paper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he loves seeing me cringe up there. I was up there with all the V8 guys. But we're all, we're all scared of everything we don't understand and we don't know. And, and so I've just put myself in the position to kind of get comfortable there. And to be honest, when I first showed up, you know, that was an idea I had no practice at, so I hadn't actually worked with heights in that, but I did some training that started that evolution of me getting comfortable with being up there, and, and that's why on the night I was able to stick my foot, you know, a foot from the edge and look over and not even have a second thought of it because I'd been dealing with it and putting myself up there and looking down. And I, the first time I went to the top of that building, well, we, we recreated the building with scaffolding, but I went to the top of the scaffold tower, and I literally – my knees wobbled. The, the tower wasn't fully erected properly at the top because we had we had the practice set up so the, the stage came halfway and all that was really strong and tied in well. But this, the scaffolding had to lift up to 10 stories. So we just had the staircase going up and the, the, structure, the structure or the, the, the metal, sorry, the aluminium trusses went all the way to the top, but the floor hadn't come up. So when the floor came up, it gave a lot of rigidity because they built in all the triangulation underneath it. It made it rigid. So you had this platform that was rigid from five stories down and the top was just these four sticks with a staircase. And when you went up the staircase, that thing was just wobbling around, you know, like, and so I went to the top of that. I went weak to the knees. I actually vomited in my mouth. I was terrified. You know, I was white as a ghost and I was like, I was thinking like, what if I'd signed myself up for? I'm an idiot. I'm going to let everyone down. So I had like a lot of night terrors and I'd actually dealt with the fear of that for about six months. 
you know, just realizing I'd committed to this thing and, and thinking about it in the garage and I had to wait till a month out before I even got to practice it. So there was like this period of four months where I couldn't do nothing. I just had to like dwell on this thought that I'd signed up to this thing and, and wait for it to come. And when it finally came, I was, I was terrified, but yeah, I mean, I worked with it enough and became confident and, and it's, they still, it still scares me. You know, I jump out of planes now and a base jump and still terrified each time, but the more you do, the easier it gets. And one of those mottos I carry with me since I've been a kid, my sister bought me a no fear poster set above my bed and it said, face your fears, live your dreams. And literally say it, say it to myself all the time. Whenever I'm scared, I might say that, you know, And but you got to know, you can't just be like arrogant about it or, or ego about it. You know, you've got to um, give everything the respect because as soon as you're egotistical or you're carrying it for the wrong reasons, the warning signs that nature's you know, or the universe is throwing at you, you don't pick up on them, you know? So you have to be aware of the wind in your face, you know, because that means that, oh, maybe you need to make a change because of that, or maybe it's too strong or whatever. So if you're not aware of all the little things happening around you and you're caught in a different zone, then it can get really dangerous. And, you know, in saying that, you know, respect to all the, I mean, I've had a lot of my friends have passed away doing the same stuff I do. So it's, it means a lot to me, man. It's, um, you know, lost, uh, we lost a, Alex Harville recently, he was going for a world record jump of mine to break the record. There's been a couple of guys that have passed away doing that. And Colby Raha, just the other day, he was going for a record jump and, and uh, he had an accident too. So we lost Ezra last. My friend's got a wall down there at his compound and like the na- got all the riders that have passed away and the name list is massive. It's crazy. So And, and a lot of when you analyse back of like how they crashed, a lot of it, you can see the writing was on the wall. There was things happening around them that maybe if they had been thinking about it in a different way, they probably thought, could have thought, maybe I don't need to push it this time. Maybe I can hold back. Maybe it's not the right situation to go for it. So that's like what I'm an advocate for is like, yeah, you know, I do all this crazy shit, but it's like you have to do things the right way because it could catch you out real quick. And how does that affect you mentally? Like the, the mental side of things when, you know, you've got close friends and, you know, I've had the same with – you know, obviously with big waves and people have died yeah. that you know and friends and, you know, a lot of a lot of us that, that you know, that do extreme sports, this yeah. this does happen. Well, sometimes you see it and you're like, I never, like after Lust died, I didn't want to ride my bike. I didn't ride my bike for a couple of months, maybe three or four months, you know, I just couldn't ride and I kept finding myself in tears, you know, especially when I'd get drunk, I'd just be a ball of mess. And so it affects you a lot, you know, um, honestly, the mental side of it is, is is great you mentioned it because I'm a big advocate for mental health. You know, I think we all, well, fact is we all have a mental health, right? I'm starting to be a part of the good human movement down in Australia. They spread a great word, good human factory, I should say. But, you know, I've, I've we all have it, right? So it's, you have to, it's like anything, you want to be fit, you got to work on your fitness. If you want to have good mental health, you have to work on it. So that's a lot of like the meditation is turning those minds, the, the mind off because, you got to give yourself a break from those thoughts. You know, if we're always judging ourselves and stuff like that, those thoughts or what you say to yourself becomes negative all day. And if you just listen to yourself, beat yourself up all day, it's impossible for you to shine on your good foot or smile or, or be pumped, you know. So you got to you got to encourage yourself to, you know, look on the bright side and, and reassure yourself and, and maybe analyse things and, and give yourself like – I'm not saying, you, you know, you're always right and you just give yourself like an open card to just do whatever you want because that's not at all the point but – it's not being too harsh on yourself and speaking kindly to yourself and then also like taking care of yourself and working on the mental health side and maybe it's listening to your good music. You've got to give yourself time out, but, um, you know, you've got to take a break from that noise too. And a lot of it comes from exercise and eating right, you know, because when you're eating a lot of sugar, you're not sleeping right, it causes inflammation in your body already, like, you know, you're eating carbs and stuff like that. It's just it's causing your internal body to be in, in um, your – it's uh, – it's essentially you you got swelling going on, you know, you're, you're inflamed, uh, especially, you know, in, in the summer and stuff like that, you're running hot. You know, that's why we do a lot of ice baths and stuff like that. It's really like mentally empowering to be able to sit in the cold. So there's a, there's a lot to all that. But to be honest, the short answer is I work on it, you know, and, and I'm honest to myself. And when I'm not feeling right, I go speak to psychiatrists, sports psychologists, I've done uh, NAD IV therapy, which resets all the receptors in your brain. Um, look up NAD IV therapy if anyone's struggling with mental health. This can be a great tool to get rid of addictions, reset your brain after head injuries, you know, just all good, feel good stuff. It rebuilds you at a cellular level and, and re- reconstructs your damaged DNA. So I remember I was in a really dark place and I did six days of that, which is quite expensive. But after the sixth day, 
I was driving down to do the final day and I had no tunes on in the car. The radio was off and I was driving down the freeway just going, happy. I remind myself of when I was a teenage kid. I was like stoked again and it sort of feel that, you know, if, you, if you're not stoked, you need to work on getting stoked. That should be the number one priority. Mate, 100% well said. Now, you'd love surfing and then you thought, well, I'll, I'll combine surfing with riding a motorbike and then not only that, you know, you didn't bring it down to surf on your motorbike at Bondi, which is a quite nice wave. You decided to go to Chapu, where in Tahiti, where it's probably one of the most dangerous waves in the world. So tell yeah. us about that. What, why, why come up with that one? I just like anything. I want it to be impactful, and I knew if I went to Chapu, I'd get the world's attention and all the respected surfers, or some of them. And honestly, I, I saw a picture of down at the glass hut there in, in Wollongong, my, ba- my buddy shapes boards down there and in, in the auditorium, Dylan Longbottom, which grew up, he, Dylan grew up on my beach and was like, like one of my hero, local hero surfers. And there's a picture of him at Chopu on this freaking massive wave. And I just noticed the bottom of the transition of the wave just looked beautiful and smooth. Probably an oversight for me, but I thought if I get my motorcycle to that point, then it's like... I could just see, I mean, it, 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 I knew it'd be like walking a tightrope, but if I could get the bike to that position, I could just be in this monster and I just thought it would work. So I I did my homework. I did a lot of Wim Hof breathing training and got to the point where I could hold my breath for four minutes. Um, got instructed to not use an inflatable life jacket for whatever reason. I, I don't even know what, what that was, but it was, it was more because of like being with the bike and all that. And I didn't do it with it. And anyway, but got my got my butt kicked, that's for sure. Probably after I realized I, I shouldn't be messing with that. And, but it was, I, I don't know, I kind of, it was one of the most terrifying moments of my life riding along and seeing that wave and realizing I was on a West Bomb and realizing I was getting closed in on. I just, I just thought to myself, this is it. You know, you killed yourself. And I remember trying to outrun it and the water's rushing so fast up, you know, before the wave. And it just, it became like a treadmill. I almost just stood still and the wave just took me down. And I took a big, deep, deep breath, but, Right away, the bike just whipped me in the back. I lost all my oxygen and thought again, like, oh, this is it. I gave up and then managed to – that wave, it doesn't hold you down too long. It kicks your butt, but it popped me up pretty quick. I got a breath. But the problem is is the next wave hit me and the next wave, and I had five waves hit me and managed to get a breath, not between the first and the second, but I got a breath after the second one, and then I got a breath every wave after that. But I had a, I had a life jacket on and I had my helmet on, which has a lot of foam, People gave me a lot of stick for wearing the helmet, but it actually gave me a lot of flotation. And because of the flotation, I kind of like was like a beach ball in front of a wave and I bounced along in front of it. So the guys who were there doing water rescue, Ray Marner and all the crew, they were looking for me where a surfer would normally be, but old beach ball Maddo was another 400 feet away <laughs> and they couldn't see me. So they all thought I'd drowned and become quite an emotional scene right there for the, for the next five minutes because they couldn't find me. But the helicopter was in the sky and was circling the beach and they realised it was indicating something. They didn't have radios. So, the, the, yeah, I ended up getting plucked out of there and um, lived to live, live to tell the story. <laughs> Mate, it was, it was amazing. I, I can't believe it. It's tough enough getting dumped with a surfboard, let alone getting dumped with a, with a motorcycle. It's, uh, yeah. it's an amazing feat. I, it's it's so, like I got inspired with that watching my brother-in-law wakeboard. He's, my brother-in-law, Josh Sanders, is a world champion wakeboarder. I was watching him behind the boat, tearing it up, and I just had that realisation because I'd always been wanting to ride a bike on water and been fascinated when I'd seen in the Krusty Demons movies dudes like Kevin Wyndham going like 100-plus 100, 100 feet across, you know, six-foot deep water. And I'm like, oh, there's got to be a way to do that better. It never really hit me until I watched Josh wakeboarding and I realised, oh, I had that R moment, and I realised if I put a ski under both wheels and had the wheels still roll, I could come across the land and hit the water and kind of had that light bulb moment and... um yeah, with the right team, we built it and we made it work and then obviously decided to go to Chobes. But I I definitely have room left for that idea and I kind of put it on the, I put it on the shelf for now, but I want to come back to that one day if I ever have idle time and a bunch of change in my pocket to, to fund it. But I think <laughs> it, it could still evolve, that's for sure. Mate, you've also doubled and done a lot of stuntman stuff for movies and you've doubled for Daniel Craig in the movie Skyfall and – you know, Vin Diesel as well. And like, what's that experience like? You know, you, you've got the skill to do it, but now suddenly you're doing it for another person in a, in a movie. Doing film work is pretty awesome. It's something I always dreamed of as a kid. I always wanted to be in the movies. Ever since I saw the Power Rangers filming 
in like 1998 at, at Bombo Quarry. From our house, you could see the cranes sticking over the top of the headlands. And funny enough, on a set that I was in, on in Hawaii, I was out there doubling uh, Magnum PI. I was doubling Magnum. And the, the stunt coordinator, Gary Himes, we were at dinner and I was talking. He said, I hadn't been to Australia since he, he did the Power Rangers. And I said, you didn't happen to film that at Bombo, did you? And he said, yeah, we did. And then so long story short, I said, do you remember some kids up on the cliff yelling out to you and then security came up and chased us off? He goes, I do remember that. I sent security up there and I said, that was me yelling out, put me in the movie. <laughs> well, here you are. So it's pretty awesome. But, you know, to be able to go on these things is, is definitely an amazing experience, especially like to do double Daniel Craig and sit with that guy and have a beer with him was really cool. They've all been different experiences and obviously you're always working with different people who have different natures and you get along with some people better than the others. And honestly, I have to say my last experience was my best. I, I just doubled uh, Jason Statham for Expendables 4, got to meet 50 Cent on, on set. Um, 50 was really cool. We sat down and spoke for until I actually had to cut it off because I had to go back to set. Super humble guy and, you know, didn't get all into the small ins and outs, but we just kind of talked about, you know, um, life and philosophy and, and, and what it means to be. He's like, he said to me, he's like, you know what we all have in common? And I, and I was like, what's that? He goes, he's like, we're all very, we're all the same. He said, oh no, he said, you know, it's different between us. And I was like, what? And he's like, you can sing, I can't. And he's like, no, he's like, we're all got this ability to be great at what we do. He said, but the only thing that's different in us is, is passion. He's like, and I was like, yeah, that's totally right. You know, my passion's bikes, your passion's music. So that was really cool to kind of get that wisdom from him. And But the coolest part about it was was meeting Jason Statham. Um, I actually hurt myself on the set. Jason texted me the next day and said, hey, man, it's Jason here. Just want to make sure your back's all right. And I was like, dude, thanks so much. So then we, we, we've been communicating and we've got a good relationship, which is awesome and something I value a lot. So excited to see where that friendship goes. And, you know, just I'm stoked to do double these guys. I, I look up to them so much and I'm excited to see what we did on Expendables 4 come out and film because it's uh, I hurt my back on it, but we got some really cool shots. Oh, man, I can't wait to see it either. And, you know, I've been a massive fan of Power with uh, yeah, 50 Cent's been involved with that and great show, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's I love the way he carries himself and he's quick-witted and speaks well. He's uh, definitely someone I aspire to be like. Mate, you said you've cheated death five times. Um, tell us a bit about that. Well, I've, I've, my heart's my heart has stopped five times. I've been paddled back to life. So, cheated death millions of times, I reckon. But like being saved five times. So I'm a got to give a huge shout out to all the nurses and all the doctors out there. I mean, I have so much respect for people who are emergency workers, frontline people, and you know the nurses. The nurses really, I you know my sister's a nurse, and I see firsthand what she goes through and what she does and how hard she works. And um, you know these nurses. Uh, and then doctors, I mean, have, have kept me alive. So it's been it's been crazy, man. I've I've had a lot of head injuries. I had viral meningitis when I was a kid that left me with a head trauma injury, which is called secondary impact syndrome. So when I have a big impact to my head, I go into seizure. And if I don't have someone there to intubate me and give me anti-seizure medication, essentially I'll I'll die. So I've been lucky enough to every time it's happened, I've had first responders there that have kind of put a tube in my lungs, give me the anesthesia medication, sedate me. I go on life support for about a week and then they wean me out of it. And then, uh, you know, it's part of the reason why I stopped doing freestyle there. It took some time to just focus on my health a bit because doctor said, if you have another one, you might not come back the same person. You might be a vegetable. So I might as well just keep aware of that. So <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy, man. It's just to, to still be here. I feel, feel blessed. I feel like, you know, I'm, God's got a plan for me and I'm, I'm here to live up to it. Mate, you've, uh, you're now 40, as you said. There's no doubt this sport has taken a toll on you. But how do you now maintain your fitness at, at a, yeah, now you're 40? Yeah, so, I mean, we all feel it, right? As the older you get, it, the harder it takes to keep up with it. I actually have destroyed a destroyed knee. I need a total knee replacement. I had, like, a surgery recently to change its left knee osteotomy where they cut the tibial plateau just below the knee joint and moved my foot across a couple of inches and plated that and where that kind of left the – when I opened the knee up, it kind of opened up a pie. They filled it full of goo, which became bone. They did that to offset the weight distribution in my knee because I'm bone on bone on the inside. So I've had no ACL since I was nine years old. So my knees are totally shot. I'm dealing with arthritis pain. I don't know whether I just wore my knee out enough, but essentially the pain's gone. But, it, you know, a lot of it has to be, you know, the fact that I take a lot of vitamins, you know, I pump a lot of veggies into myself. 
drink a lot of water and I've been doing hot yoga and Pilates and I'm in the gym. I do re- I do a lot of um, recalibration exercises to kind of lengthen and, and, and straighten the spine. Kind of had some scoliosis going on when I did a goscue. You, I mean, if you're feeling out of shape, you go to a goscue and they pretty much figure out where your hips are lined up and how far your head's forward and all that and they re- you know get, give all these movements to realign yourself. And I remember one day after about six weeks into it, I just one day I was driving, I realized I just felt square and straight. I'm like, feel like, feel solid and strong. You know, it's like if a house kind of like gets a hit from the side and it's on the piss, it's going to come down at some point, you know. So we're all kind of like every injury you have, some part of you compensates and it creates all these imbalances. And I'd just been going on my career for so long, had all these different injuries I kept compensating for. So I was like a wet spaghetti noodle. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've just been a lot of calibration, understanding. I was in a lot of pain for a while, and I didn't want to go on painkillers, so I, I did recreate. I, I took advice from people that, that gave me sound advice, and uh, I think if you're injured, if you really kind of figure out what's going on, like I've dealt with back pain. I've had back surgery. I was in like crippled with back pain for a while, and, and, and the reason actually what was going on is my pelvis had rotated, and I was impinging my spine and my SI joint, and so that would have just been pain for the rest of my life, and I could have gone on pain medication with what the doctors wanted to do. But I went and did a goscue and, and rotated my hips back and straightened myself out. And now I'm pain-free again. So if you're in pain, look into it a little bit deeper. You might be able to get yourself out of pain. You mentioned it before, and I hear that you've got another special guest that's going to be on the show. It's your 11-year-old son, Cruz. Now, mate, is he following in Dad's footsteps here? Yes, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, you know... I, Part of me would like him to do something else, but he just he sees what I do every day. You know, I'm not in a position to go and hang out at the beach every day or, or play golf every day as much as I'd love to and love him to be a surfer or a golfer or get into being a DJ or something. But, I mean, he's I can't blame him. He's from my DNA and motorbikes excite him and he's he's actually really damn good at it. You know, he's, uh, he's already surpassed what I've done at the same age. So proud of him you know he told me when he was a little baby he said dad i'm going to jump a motorcycle further than you one day and he just told me straight in my eyes and it was like before he got influence from anyone else it was straight from him and i was like uh it's the worst thing i could have heard but i was like if that's what you want to do i'll i know the way to help you buddy so i'm on your side so it's been a great relationship builder for us you know I, i'm there every step of the way i make it safe for him i know like if he's in a situation wants to do something i'm like no nah, don't do it that way let's do it this way because of this this and that he's like oh yeah good good point dad so He's like my best mate, you know, he's such a humble little guy. He's one of my buddies and when I'm not around, he hangs out with all my mates. So carries himself very well and I'm confident he, he'll put up with the nerves on the day and I know he'll be nervous but I know he's got the mindset and skill to be able to get through it and I'm looking forward to being proud of him for putting on a good show and he's excited. He's really excited to get out there and inspire all the kids and show show Australia what he's made of. And, mate, like you, your wife's been watching you doing death-defying jumps and and that over the years now what how does she feel now that a son's now gonna be in the same position or obviously she would support everything but yeah she, <laughs> she's a stress ball like i mean she's a great woman puts up with a lot poor thing she uh you know i just let her do her deal and deal with stuff the way she wants to i talk about how to deal with it and you know I, i've been down the road i know how to do it she doesn't want to listen to it so she deals with it in her own way but we're a team, you know, and if her strengths uh, are things that I don't have in my wheelhouse and my strength are things she don't have in her wheelhouse. So together we're definitely better together. So we try and put our best of ourselves into our kids and she's, she supports Chris. She realises that he wants to do that. I mean, Jagger wants to be out there as well and she supports him as long as she'll be, she'll be cool enough to be like, you can do this, this and this, but she'll definitely set him boundaries. Like you can't do this. She told me already he's not doing any tricks. I'm like, Let's cut a seat grab and get him doing a seat grab before the show. She said, no, no, he's just jumping the jump safely. He's like, I want to do a whip, Dad. I'm like, yeah, we'll work on the whip. So we'll throw a trick. But, uh, yeah, Mum's definitely got guidelines for all of us, and we, we, we pick and choose when to follow him. <laughs> Bates, also, you've uh, recently launched a new initiative called Mad Will. So tell us a bit about that. Mate, I'm, I'm excited about it. I've wanted to do my own brand for a long time. It's kind of taken a few different faces and just hasn't, always made sense for me i've had a lot of other things going but now it's really becoming like worked its way up my priority list and i want to do this for my kids but also i want to give back to my fans you know and like i always get hit up people want to buy my merch and stuff and want to represent who i am and what i'm about and 
I don't essentially put myself out there too much just because I'm focused on trying to be the best version of myself I can be. And so I don't have got a lot to say because I'm like in the mindset, like who am I to tell people who, how to be and how to act, you know, like I'm working on it myself. But a lot of the stuff I've done, people look up to. So rather than trying to tell people how to be, I'd like to tell stories of what I've done and what I've realized and what I've experienced. And maybe they can take some of my shortfallings and some of the lessons I've learned to maybe empower themselves and, and so it's 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 a it's a brand for the community. It's for everyone. It's 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 not exclusive at all. It's, it's totally open, and we we invite everyone who wants to be the best version of themselves, and sick of trying to be someone else or following other stuff. They just want to be themselves and be proud and happy with themselves. So that's what the brand's about. Mad will. It's having the mad will to have the will to like make the sacrifices to be the best version of yourself. Maybe you don't need to have that other beer, or maybe you don't need to go out at all. Maybe you need to have an early sleep. If you've got a big thing on tomorrow that is that could make a significant change to your future, why risk it by coming in like secondhand when you could come in feeling brand new? So that's the whole thing of the message, but it's more of a lifestyle brand. I'm not, I don't really want to just speak to the motorcycle fraternity because I'm a motorcycle rider and that's what I'm known for. It's my job, but I'm I'm like probably a lot of us out there who just love everything. You know, I'm an outdoors person. I love, I love being in the water. I love kayaking and, you know, riding my stand-up paddleboard and jet skiing and surfing and riding snowboards and skateboards and motorbikes, skydiving, whatever it is, wakeboarding. I do it all. And race cars, you know, flying planes now. So it's just like I want to speak to everyone who just wants to be the best version of themselves. You know, if you just want to be a lawyer or whatever, like, sweet, come and sit at our table because I get inspired by people who push themselves and, doesn't matter what walk of life you are from. If you're successful, I look up to you in a way because it took discipline, it took hard work to get there and they're things that I honour and, and that's what this brand stands behind is, is having those values. Mate, that's great. Now, you like golf too, mate. I love golf. So we might have to have a game one day and, uh, and, and see how we go. <laughs> yeah, mate, mate, I'm trying to get mine down. I mean, I've got down to 17, but I'm stuck there, 17, 18 handicap. So... I can't get any lower, but I'm, I'm happy with that, the amount of time I play, but, you know. Yeah, uh, I think we'd probably be good, mate, good teammates, I reckon. Unless <laughs> we be play good. best ball. If we play best <laughs> ball, we'd smash it. Mate, thanks for uh, having a chat. Now, at the end of the interview, I do uh, a segment called Five Fun Facts. So yeah. I'm going to throw uh, five questions at you. You can yeah. answer them however you want. It doesn't matter. There's no right, wrong answer. So yeah. uh, let's rip into it. Mate, what do you miss about Australia? Oh, I'll say the beaches, <laughs> the food, the culture. How's about that? The culture that gets everything. What are you most proud of? My family. Who is the messiest person you know? <laughs> I'd have to say my little son Rocco. Yeah. He's really, he's like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, favorite childhood memory. Favorite childhood memory. Oh. Riding in the back of the milk truck around Bulleye, handing out milk. And we, we used to get, uh, he'd give us a custard or a chocolate milk at the end of it. We'd do it all the like, kids would sit in the back there. It'd be freezing cold, refrigerated. We'd have the sliding doors up and, you know, it'd smell like milk. And uh, we'd all sit in there drinking chocolate milk. And we'd probably steal one or something like that, stash one in the bushes, go back, get it later on the BMX bike. So I used to love, yeah, that and, and playing marbles at school. I used to love playing marbles. I always had the sweetest marbles, made, made sure they had no chips in them. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, last question. What ridiculous thing has someone tricked you into doing or believing? Doing or believing? Well, I don't want to get too crazy in this because I could say some pretty whacked up stuff right now. <laughs> but, um, we won't talk about aliens or flat earth or anything like that. But, uh, well, I ate a fish's eyeball once. <laughs> and you know what? Um, it wasn't a ridiculous thing because this was really cool. But, you know, I've done some work with the Aboriginal guys and uh, – Want to shout out to all the Aussies, Aussie Aboriginals back there. Respect to all you guys, because um, you know, respect to the Indigenous. But uh, I love the guys down there at uh, at our local our local beach or the Summer Cloud Bay. One of my good mates down there, uh, Uncle Joe, he takes me out there, Aussie Pipeline, and he's pretty much the boss of that break. And he, I love going surfing with him because I always get plenty of waves. He, he just kind of has the rule of the roost down there, but. And this isn't anything I maybe believe, but um, you know, the dream time and all that kind of stuff. I love the story; it's very inspiring. I love their bush medicine, but he showed me like the bush medicine, and it's crazy. Like, you know, I have no idea; I couldn't survive. And we walked through, and he showed me all these leaves that you know clean your blood and anti-inflammatories and all this stuff. But the coolest thing I did was paint myself up. We did a corroboree, and I'm like jumping around, pretending I'm a kangaroo and stuff. And 
That was cool. I love just immersing yourself in it and, and um, yeah, so I just wanted to shout out to all the Aboriginals down there, you know, and I mean, family to me and uh, they always just showed me love. So cheers, boys and girls. Mate, Matt, it's been fantastic to have you in the Beach Shack and, mate, you're a legend, legend what you do and can't wait to get out here and show everybody what you've got in store at the show. Cheers, Hoppo. You're a sound man yourself, mate. Thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully see all you guys in Gosford. Come down and check out the show. We'll be sending it for you guys. Thanks, Robbie. We are looking forward to seeing you back in Australia. Now, if you want to see Robbie perform with world champion riders, Jacko Strong, Pat Bowden, and the rest of the Freestyle Kings team, head to www.tickettech.com.au. Tickets start at just $24.99. Now let's go to Beach Banner. And this week in the Beach Shack, we've got him back again, Laurie Williams. Loza, welcome, Always mate. a pleasure to be in the shack, mate. Well, mate... People that have watched Bondi Rescue around the world, they've seen we do this lifeguard relay against all the other professional lifeguards uh, from other councils. Now, I thought I'd get you in and have a chat about how that actually started because there's a big history with that. It just didn't start when the show started. It started way back, didn't it? Was it it the started 80s? back in the mid-'80s, and uh, what it was, we we, we – had a chat with the head lifeguard back then, uh, your predecessor, and put it to him that it'd be great uh, as a means of getting all the lifeguard services together just to have a fun event, you know, get as many from around Sydney and probably just outside of Sydney as we could. It took off and, and the first year we were able to get guys from the central coast. When you consider that, you know, most it was a midweek thing and it was held probably at the height of summer and it had to be held after hours. So these guys were having to drive from either the south coast to Lawarra or from the central coast, but we couldn't get anyone else because it was too far to come. Anyway, we did manage to get a fairly good cross-section of lifeguard services up and down the coast and it certainly started off as a fun event, but of course um, the, the boys from the bushes, we call them, you know, Central Coast and, and the Illawarra, uh, they took it a lot more serious than what we did. You know, they had some gun young competitors who could swim, paddle, whatever, run a lot quicker than we could because they had much more time than we did to, to train to that level. Of course, we were too busy working down here because, as you know, uh, it never stops at Bondi. Well, mate, I remember when I started in the, you know, the early 90s and that Dean and Darren Mercer, who were professional ironmen at the time, were in the Wollongong team when they came up. And there's other teams as well that had some pretty handy Well, athletes. I remember running against – I did the run leg for quite a few years and I remember running against Guy Leach, uh, who I know you've had on – you've had there in, in the shack and interviewed. Uh, I ran against Guy Leach. But that that was the calibre of, of – competitor that, that you're up against because, you know, a lot of these guys who are doing the Ironman, the Cool and Get a Gold, etc., you know, they were having to work as lifeguards to get a bit of money in. And I remember too, you mentioned to me that there was a well-known footballer that tried to uh, take you out at some stage <laughs> one of those years. Well, here's what it came down to. Once we realised, we try to make it a fun event. So, it started with a run and ended with a run. In between, there were two swimmers Two board paddlers. I believe we did have two ski paddlers. Would that be right? You can verify that. Yeah, I remember doing the ski leg. We did have a ski leg back then. And also the, the surfer We had the plane. rubberies, the, the, the rubber surfer planes, which did make a comeback a few years ago on the market. And that was to trying to lighten the event up, you know, add a bit of levity, a bit of humour to the event and also even it out a bit because we knew we had an edge there because the rubberies were always down in max higher if we needed to go out and train on them. But you're right, I think we soon realised that, hey, you know, these guys from up and down the coast, even from Manly, as we said, you know, they're, they're, they're red hot as competitors. So if we can just beat Ramwick lifeguards, the guys from Maroubra, Coogee and Clovelly, then we're doing well. And, of course, yes, there was a former first-grade footballer who did try to try to take me out on the run leg because that, our, our mission was to beat Ramwick 
lifeguards. We didn't care who won the race as long as we beat those guys. And, of course, Gary Warnicky went out of his way to try and take me out. But, you know, Gary was well retired and his knees and back weren't doing too well. I sidestepped in quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a, a, a well-known eastern suburbs roosters back in those days, now called the Sydney That's roosters. That's right. And, he was a uh, really uh, a very good footballer. Yeah, and he, he, a lot of people don't realise that, you know, early on in his career and before his career kicked off in first grade with the Roosters and later later on with the Western Suburbs Magpies, Gaza was a very keen surfer and he could swim. He was good in the water. He was a good waterman. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't forget his ill-timed tackle. He would have been yeah, yeah. dropped from first grade <laughs> for, for, for me for the sidestep I put on him. Yeah, mate, you would have uh, would have got to start in the Roosters, I think, oh, after doing yeah, that sidestep. <laughs> but they're just on, on Mary. They've been a, a few football players. I mean, Daryl Pierce, you'd remember, he played for Manly, yeah. and also Rennie Matua, who played for the Bulldogs, worked and Luke Beasley. If you remember, Luke came from up Byron Bay way and he worked a season with us at Waverley down at Bondi. Uh, Luke played for the Bunnies. He, he played a few first grade games on the wing. So, yeah, we've had a few. Uh, Corey Adams, of course, played for Canterbury Easts and possibly South, so I could be corrected on that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's been a fair few uh, footy players we've coming had- through. I don't know how many these days that would be able to uh, – the swim that are playing in the Yeah, in the not teams. with the knocks that they take, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, you know, as we've often said, uh, walking out onto that, onto Bondi, Bronnie or Tamara, on a, on a busy day, it's like walking into an arena, you know, and when you're finished at the end of the day, you feel like you've done 80 minutes on the paddock in the, in the NRL. <laughs> <laughs> well, Loz, mate, it's uh, great to have you in the beach shack, mate. Always love Hearing the stories that you've got, it's uh, fantastic. There's plenty more to come. Stay tuned. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This week's mailbag, uh, the letter is from Madeline, and she's from Ireland, uh, and sends it across saying, who is your favourite lifeguard to work with? Now, Madeline... uh, Pretty much, I love working with everyone we've had all over the years and, and to today. And, you know, everyone's always fun, exciting, and uh, very, very good at their job. But I suppose the one that stands out the most would be Mario. I think we've got a lot in common. We get along quite well when we're on the beach, especially down the water's edge, and keeping an eye on everybody swimming and, and making sure the beach is safe. We do uh, have a, a fair bit of banter, and, and things just pop up. You know, whether it's someone that's surfing or someone that's coming out of the water or we relate it to ourselves and we usually give each other a bit of a bagging and it's all quite lighthearted and fun and it sort of makes that uh, the day go that little bit quicker. I mean, Mario's always bubbly, fun and, and always uh, on top of the world and a very, very good lifeguard uh, and professional as well. So I would say if I had to pick someone on a very, out of everybody, which is uh, pretty hard to do, but uh, I'd say currently working would be Mario as the slight standout. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.